Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Hi, everybody. I'm Ron Zapilli. I'm the Senior Vice President of Portfolio Strategy Consulting for Colliers and here in the Americas. We're here at the Cornet Summit in Denver, Colorado. Uh, with me today is Dr. Tina Zapilli, who is a professor of political science. Tina, why don't you say a little bit about yourself and why you're here at the conference? Hi, thanks for having me, everyone here at Cornet, live here in Denver. So I'm a chair of a political science department at Stockton University, a public university in New Jersey. I'm here presenting about regionalization, nearshoring, friendshoring. I'm an international political economist, not a real estate expert, but corporate real estate is where the rubber hits the road in terms of the global economy. That's why I'm here. You also happen to serve on the buildings committee of your university. Can you talk a little bit about that responsibility and, and some of the work that you do on that committee? Yeah, I serve as our official union employee representative on our space management committee, where all decisions about space on all of our campuses, we have a total of five including our satellites, uh, go through a committee of students, faculty, staff, and of course the higher ups, the admin, the one that control the ones who control the money. So typically when we work with universities, one of the biggest things that some organizations and some uh, real estate professionals feel is an area of opportunity is professors' offices and and the lack of overall (laughs) utilization of those offices. Sometimes they see that as a big time, energy, and cost suck. Ouch. Indeed. How do you feel about the idea of giving up your office? And, And what do you think your colleagues... Uh, feel would feel about giving up their office. In case I haven't given it away already. <laughs> in all honesty, though, I'll you know I'll describe a typical work week. It's not always the same for us in higher ed. And just last week, I had an advising day where I'm in my office all day, literally all day, 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., meeting back to back with students who need privacy. And you don't always know or can predict when those students will need a private space. So we have things like counselor spaces. We have a dean of students office. We even have a meditation room, a multicultural center, places where students can go for private space. Yet, why are they there on campus? To take courses with faculty to learn, to be mentored by faculty. So when they come to us to talk about whatever is going on in the classroom or outside the classroom, we often will know in that moment that we suddenly need a private space. So while you don't see on your studies that we're there all the time in our offices, the time that we are there is really critical to the functioning of the campus and to the well-being of our students. I will also add that we have an incredible amount of books, and I'm sure that you have an answer for this. However, we have cultivated our collections over decades in many cases, and it does really serve as our own mini libraries. We check out those books to students. We don't go through the main library. Most of our main libraries are transitioning to more open spaces and quiet study spaces. 
they don't have book stacks. We do. So that is a really, I think, underrated service that faculty do provide, especially from especially for students who can't afford to buy books from the bookstore. Uh, just this semester, I have three books that I've given off my personal bookshelf to students in my classes. That's really interesting you should mention that because where I was going to go after this was diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right? Excellent topic. Indeed. Um, it's always a big hot topic here at Cornet. Uh, always gets a lot of um, uh, radio play, as Rightly it were. Rightly so. Indeed. And we always try to not give lip service to the topic as much as we try to provide examples, real-world examples, of how to implement DEI in in real ways. You talked a little bit about providing a service to your students who may not have ag- adequate resources uh, from uh, to acquire books. Indeed. Uh, from a facilities point of view and a facilities perspective on your work from uh, on the building committee, what sort of DEI initiatives have you been privy to and are looking to advance throughout the the university's portfolio? You know, I will share some things I heard earlier today that we talk about on our campus. I am at a public institution. We service students who are often first generation. Um, I am at a predominantly white institution, but we are growing in diversity to close to about 25 to 30% non-white students. And they do have different needs. So for example, students who live in an urban area need access to transportation hubs. So if when they are in the workplace, they're going to be looking at how do I get to work? How how can I work at a place in a geographic location? We're near Philadelphia, we're near New York City. Can I afford to live even close to where I want to work? And if I can't, can I get there for a reasonable amount of money that's not going to take away too much of my salary? And what is the company going to do in order to ensure that happens? Am I going to be provided a a stipend, for example, for transportation? That's a great recommendation for entry-level employees. Um, I'll actually pause there. I have many more ideas. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll turn it back over to the real estate professional. No, no, no. This is all about getting uh, perspectives and ideas from from outside of our industry, because our industry yeah. can sometimes be a, uh, a super uh, echo chamber, quite frankly, where we're all talking about the same things. Um, it's really about influencing organizations to change in positive ways um, and, and having outside perspectives such as your yours is really important to add to the conversation because those are the types of stories uh, that we need to hear so that when we're doing our planning, when we are consulting with universities and other organizations, we get a broad full spectrum of ideas to incorporate and um, uh, advocate for, quite frankly. Yeah, and it, I mean, it really is professors. I'm, all, I'm also a chair of my department. Um, we do work every day with students, preparing them hopefully well (laughs) for the workforce. Um, But, you know, our students are looking for things that I'm not sure employers are aware of all the time either. You know, a typical mindset of my graduating student is that they're not going to live in the same place. They're not interested in buying a home maybe for 20, 30 years. It's not on their radar. So when they are looking for where to go, whether it's an internship in the workplace, they're looking to be 
treated well, but treated well for the circumstances that they're in. Whether that's the transportation stipend, um, whether it's flexible work hours, which become particularly important, of course, as people age, um, especially as they approach the childbearing years. Indeed. Yeah, we have firsthand experience of that, don't we? We sure do. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> when you think about uh, when you think about um, some of the expectations that students have, yeah. I think one of the things that students have uh, an expectation of is being mentored, being trained by Definitely. professionals, and that best is best done in our experience uh, and um, yeah in our experience being done in a uh, in-person one-on-one type of environment or maybe not even a one-on-one environment one in many type of environment um, and and that gives them an opportunity to become accustomed to to business norms right become acculturated to, to business norms what sort of other um, expectations do you think students have um, vis-a-vis the workplace experience? You know, I'll share something that I hear a lot that they want to be valued for who they are, which to be, to you know, that's the heart of DEI, right? That's another inclusion. Yeah, absolutely. But it really gets to the policies that a company that a company has. For example, um, just thinking off the top of my head, expectations for uniforms, policies on dress, hair. What are the what are the expectations and norms? Whether it's a hard policy or a soft rule, which I think is more often than not that goes unspoken. Can my students show up for who they are in the workplace without being made to feel shamed about that because they will look different? Those soft policies are pretty pernicious, especially when they're (laughs) malevolent. Yeah. And, you know, they get also that their expectations in the workplace in certain fields where they do have to adapt to a particular culture. But a lot of times um, they see some of those rules and norms as unnecessary. So I would encourage companies to consider, do they really need to have those cultural expectations and norms? Or is it okay to have them pushed a little bit? And how does that hit your bottom line and does it create more opportunities when you have more people in your workforce who look like the people who you want to serve your customers that can actually be a win-win for everyone this has been really great i really appreciate your openness and uh willingness to share about your experience and, and your perspective before we wrap up here i just want to give you the opportunity to add anything else what do you think is the is the biggest misconception that folks have about academics, uh, academia, and and working in that type of environment? Oh, you know, I'm not sure. Um, really put you on the spot on did, that one. You didn't did. I? I'm at a public institution, so if you're working with a privately endowed, you know, institution of higher ed, um, that relationship is going to be significantly different because the capital resources are there, whereas public higher education is floundering. I am sure that there are many opportunities out there as colleges are closing, for example. That's real estate space that's now open. I know that there have been acquisitions, mergers, words we don't usually use in higher ed that are becoming more of the norm. It's very scary. (laughs) 
as, as an academic, but we also get it um, and we're willing to adjust. And, you know, I'm sure there are more opportunities for real estate professionals to work with our institutions to help it hurt a little bit less and to help in the end us achieve our mission, which is education, especially in the public sphere for everyone. This has been really great. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for so much for your willingness to, to share and, and come and speak here at, at Cornet. Um, why don't you uh, say who you are one last time for the, for the listening audience, if yeah, you don't mind? Yeah, I'm Dr. Tina Zapilli. I'm the chair of the political science department at Stockton University in southern New Jersey. Thank you and so much. And it's been a pleasure. It, it certainly has. Thank you. Thank you. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.